The Browning Version by Terence Radigan, Part 3 Andrew moves to the chair right of the desk and sits. He picks up a book and looks idly at it. Millie enters upright. She crosses above the table, center, picks up the box of chocolates, and eats one as she speaks. Millie. Good-looking couple. Andrew. Very. Millie. He looks as if he'd got what it takes. I should think he'll be a success all right. Andrew. That's what I thought. Millie. I don't think it's much of a career, though, a schoolmaster, for a likely young chap like that. Andrew. I know you don't. Millie, crossing down to the desk and picking up the luggage labels. Still, I bet when he leaves this place, it won't be without a pension. It'll be roses, roses all the way, and tears and cheers and goodbye, Mr. Chips. Andrew. I expect so. Millie. What's the matter with you? Andrew. Nothing. Millie. You're not going to have another of your attacks, are you? You look dreadful. Andrew. I'm perfectly all right. Millie, indifferently. You know best. Your medicine's there anyway if you want it. She goes up center. Andrew, left alone, continues for a time staring at the text he has been pretending to read. Then he puts one hand over his eyes. There is a knock on the door upright. Andrew. Come in. Taplow enters upright and appears timidly from behind the screen. He is carrying a small book behind his back, sharply. Yes, Taplow, what is it? Taplow, nothing, sir. Andrew, what do you mean, nothing? Taplow, timidly, I just came back to say goodbye, sir. Andrew, oh. He puts down the book and rises. Taplow, moving center. I didn't have a chance with the head here. I rather dashed out, I'm afraid. I thought I'd just come back and... Wish you luck, sir. Andrew. Thank you, Taplow. That's good of you. Taplow. I, uh, thought this might interest you, sir. He quickly thrusts the small book towards Andrew. Andrew, taking out his glasses and putting them on. What is it? Taplow. Verse translation of the Agamemnon, sir. The Browning version. It's not much good. I've been reading it in the chapel gardens. Andrew. "'taking the book. "'Very interesting, Taplow.' "'He seems to have a little difficulty in speaking. "'He clears his throat "'and then goes on in his level, gentle voice. "'I know the translation, of course. "'It has its faults, I agree. "'But I think you will enjoy it more "'when you get used to the meter he employs.' "'He hands the book back to Taplow. "'Taplow, brusquely thrusting the book back to Andrew. "'It's for you, sir.' Andrew. For me. Taplow. Yes, sir. I've written in it. Andrew opens the flyleaf and reads whatever is written there. Andrew. Did you buy this? Taplow. Yes, sir. It was only second hand. Andrew. You shouldn't have spent your pocket money this way. Taplow. That's all right, sir. It wasn't very much. Suddenly appalled. The price isn't still inside, is it? Andrew carefully wipes his glasses and puts them on again. Andrew, at length. No. Just what you've written. Nothing else. Taplow. Good. I'm sorry you've got it already. I thought you probably would have. Andrew. I haven't got it already. 
I may have had it once. I can't remember. But I haven't got it now. Taplow. That's all right, then. Andrew continues to stare at Taplow's inscription on the flyleaf. Suspiciously. What's the matter, sir? Have I got the accent wrong? Andrew. No. The Paris Bominon is perfectly correct. His hands are shaking. He lowers the book and turns away above the chair, right of the desk. Taplow, would you be good enough to take that bottle of medicine, which you so kindly brought in, and pour me out one dose in a glass which you will find in the bathroom? Taplow, seeing something is wrong. Yes, sir. He moves up to the sideboard and picks up the bottle. Andrew, the doses are clearly marked on the bottle. I usually put a little water with it. Taplow, yes, sir. He darts out up-center. Andrew, the moment he is gone, breaks down and begins to sob uncontrollably. He sits in the chair left of the desk and makes a desperate attempt, after a moment, to control himself. But when Taplow comes back, his emotion is still very apparent. Taplow re-enters with the bottle and a glass, comes to the upstage end of the desk, and holds out the glass. Andrew, taking the glass... Thank you. He drinks, turning his back on Taplow as he does so. You must forgive this exhibition of weakness, Taplow. The truth is, I've been going through rather a strain lately. Taplow, putting the bottle on the desk. Of course, sir. I quite understand. He eases towards center. There is a knock on the door, upper left. Andrew. Come in. Frank enters up left. Frank. Oh, sorry. I thought you'd be finished by now. He moves to left of Taplow. Andrew. Come in, Hunter. Do. It's perfectly all right. Our lesson was over some time ago, but Taplow most kindly came back to say goodbye. Frank, taking in Taplow's rather startled face and Andrew's obvious emotion, looks a little puzzled. Frank. Are you sure I'm not intruding? Andrew. No, no. I want you to see this book that Taplow has given me, Hunter. Look, a translation of the Agamemnon by Robert Browning. He rises. Do you see the inscription he has put into it? He hands the book open to Frank across the desk. Frank, glancing at the book. Yes, but it's no use to me, I'm afraid. I never learnt Greek. Andrew. Then we'll have to translate it for him, won't we, Taplow? He recites the Greek by heart. That means, in a rough translation, God from afar looks graciously upon a gentle master. It comes from a speech of Agamemnon's to Clytemnestra. Frank. I see. Very pleasant and very apt. He hands the book back to Andrew. Andrew. Very pleasant. But perhaps not, after all, so very apt. He turns away quickly from both of them as emotion once more seems about to overcome him. Frank brusquely jerks his head to the bewildered Taplow to get out. Taplow nods. Taplow. Goodbye, sir, and the best of luck. Andrew. Goodbye, Taplow, and thank you very much. Taplow flees quickly upright and goes out. Frank watches Andrew's back with a mixture of embarrassment and sympathy. Andrew, turning at length, slightly recovered. Dear me, 
What a fool I made of myself in front of that boy. And in front of you, Hunter. He moves in to the desk. I can't imagine what you must think of me. Frank. Nonsense. Andrew. I am not a very emotional person, as you know, but there was something so very touching and kindly about his action, and coming as it did just after... He stops, then glances at the book in his hand. This is a very delightful thing to have, don't you think? Frank. Delightful. Andrew. The quotation, of course, he didn't find entirely by himself. I happened to make some little joke about the line in form the other day. But he must have remembered it all the same to have found it so readily. And perhaps he means it. Frank. I'm sure he does, or he wouldn't have written it. Millie enters up-center with a tray of supper things. She puts the tray on the sideboard. She puts table napkins, mats, and bread on the table. Andrew turns and looks out of the window. Millie. Hello, Frank. I'm glad you're in time. Lend me a cigarette. I've been gasping for one for an hour. Frank moves up left of the table center and once more extends his case. Millie takes a cigarette. Frank. Your husband has just had a very nice present. Millie. Oh, who from? Frank. Taplow. He comes down left of the table. Millie, coming down right of the table, smiling. Oh, Taplow. Frank lights Millie's cigarette. Andrew, moving above the desk to the chair right of it. He bought it with his own pocket money, Millie, and wrote a very charming inscription inside. Frank. God looks kindly upon a gracious master. Andrew. No, not gracious. Gentle, I think. Yes, I think gentle is the better translation. I would rather have had this present, I think, than almost anything I can think of. There is a pause. Millie laughs suddenly. Millie, holding out her hand. Let's see it. The artful little beast. Andrew hands the book across to Millie. Millie opens it. Frank, urgently. Millie. Millie looks at Andrew. Andrew. Artful? Why artful? Why artful, Millie? Millie laughs again, quite lightly. Millie. My dear, because I came into this room this afternoon to find him giving an imitation of you to Frank here. Obviously he was scared stiff I was going to tell you, and you'd ditch his remove or something. I don't blame him for trying a few bobs worth of appeasement. She gives the book to Andrew, then moves up right of the table to the sideboard, where she stubs out her cigarette, picks up some cutlery, and starts to lay the table. Andrew stands quite still, looking down at the book. Andrew, after a pause, nodding. I see. He puts the book gently on the desk, picks up the bottle of medicine, and moves up left of the table to the door up center. Millie. Where are you going, dear? Dinner's nearly ready. Andrew, opening the door. Only to my room for a moment. I won't be long. Millie. You've just had a dose of that, dear. I shouldn't have another if I were you. Andrew. I am allowed two at a time. Millie. Well, see it is two and no more, won't you? Andrew meets her eye for a moment, then goes out quietly. 
Millie moves to left of the table and lays the last knife and fork. She looks at Frank with an expression half-defiant and half-ashamed. Frank, with a note of real repulsion in his voice. Millie, my God, how could you? Millie, well, why not? She crosses above the table and comes down left of the settee. Why should he be allowed his comforting little illusions? I'm not. Frank, advancing on her. Listen, you're to go to his room now and tell him that was a lie. Millie, certainly not. It wasn't a lie. Frank, if you don't, I will. Millie, I shouldn't if I were you. It'll only make things worse. He won't believe you. Frank, moving upright of the table center. We'll see about that. Millie, go ahead, see what happens. He knows I don't lie to him. He knows what I told him was the truth, and he won't like your sympathy. He'll think you're making fun of him, like Taplow. Frank hesitates, then comes slowly down center again. Millie watches him, a little frightened. Frank, after a pause. We're finished, Millie, you and I. Millie, laughing. Frank, really, don't be hysterical. Frank, I'm not. I mean it. Millie, lightly. Oh, yes, you mean it. Of course you mean it. Now just sit down, dear, and relax and forget all about artful little boys and their five-bob presents and talk to me. She pulls at his coat. Frank, pulling away. Forget? If I live to be a hundred... I shall never forget that little glimpse you've just given me of yourself. Millie. Frank, you're making a frightening mountain out of an absurd little molehill. Frank. Of course, but the mountain I'm making in my imagination is so frightening that I'd rather try to forget both it and the repulsive little molehill that gave it birth. But as I know I never can, I tell you, Millie, from this moment you and I are finished. Millie, quietly. You can't scare me, Frank. She turns away towards the fireplace. I know that's what you're trying to do, but you can't do it. Frank, quietly. I'm not trying to scare you, Millie. I'm telling you the simple truth. I'm not coming to Bradford. There's a pause. Millie, turning to face Frank with an attempt at bravado. All right, my dear, if that's the way you feel about it, don't come to Bradford. Frank. Right. Now I think you ought to go to your room and look after Andrew. He crosses towards the door up left. I'm leaving. Millie, following Frank. What is this? Frank, I don't understand. Really, I don't. What have I done? Frank. I think you know what you've done, Millie. Go and look after Andrew. Millie, moving to the left end of the settee. Andrew. Why this sudden concern for Andrew? Frank. Because I think he's just been about as badly hurt as a human being can be. And as he's a sick man and in a rather hysterical state, it might be a good plan to go and see how he is. Millie, scornfully. Hurt? Andrew hurt? You can't hurt Andrew. He's dead. Frank, moving to right of Millie. Why do you hate him so much, Millie? Millie, because he keeps me from you. Frank, that isn't true. Millie, 
Because he's not a man at all. Frank, he's a human being. Millie, you've got a fine right to be so noble about him after deceiving him for six months. Frank, twice in six months, at your urgent invitation. Millie slaps his face in a violent paroxysm of rage. Thank you for that. I deserved it. He crosses to the chair right of the desk. I deserve a lot worse than that, too. Millie, running to him. Frank, forgive me. I didn't mean it. Frank, quietly. You'd better have the truth, Millie. It had to come sometime. He turns to face Millie. I've never loved you. I've never told you I loved you. Millie. I know, Frank. I know. She backs away slightly. I've always accepted that. Frank. You asked me just now if I was running away from you. Well, I was. Millie. I knew that, too. Frank. But I was coming to Bradford. It was going to be the very last time I was ever going to see you, and at Bradford, I would have told you that. Millie. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You've tried to tell me that so often before. She crosses to the fireplace. And I've always stopped you somehow. Somehow I would have stopped you again. Frank, quietly. I don't think so, Millie. Not this time. Millie, crossing to right of the table center. Frank, I don't care what humiliations you heap on me. I know you don't give two hoots for me as a person. I've always known that. I've never minded so long as you cared for me as a woman. And you do, Frank. You do. You do, don't you? Frank is silent. He crosses slowly to the fireplace. It'll be all right at Bradford, you see. It'll be all right there. Frank. I'm not coming to Bradford, Millie. The door up center opens slowly, and Andrew enters. He is carrying the bottle of medicine. He hands it to Millie and passes on, crossing down left below the desk. Millie holds the bottle up to the light. Andrew. Gently. You should know me well enough by now, my dear, to realize how unlikely it is that I should ever take an overdose. Millie, without a word, puts the bottle on the sideboard and goes out up center. Andrew goes to the cupboard down left and takes out the sherry and one glass. Frank. I'm not staying to dinner, I'm afraid. Andrew. Indeed. I'm sorry to hear that. You'll have a glass of sherry. Frank. No, thank you. Andrew, you will forgive me if I do. Frank, of course. Perhaps I'll change my mind. He crosses to center. Andrew takes out a second glass and fills both of them. About Taplow. Andrew, oh, yes. Frank, it is perfectly true that he was imitating you. I, of course, was mostly to blame in that, and I'm very sorry. Andrew, that is perfectly all right. Was it a good imitation? Frank. No. Andrew. I expect it was. Boys are often very clever mimics. Frank. We talked about you, of course, before that. He moves in to right of the desk. He said, You probably won't believe this, but I thought I ought to tell you. He said he liked you very much. Andrew smiles slightly. Andrew. Indeed. He drinks. Frank. I can remember very clearly his exact words. He said, He doesn't seem to like people to like him, 
But in spite of that, I do. Very much. Lightly. So you see, it looks after all as if the book might not have been a mere question of appeasement. Andrew. The book? He picks it up. Dear me, what a lot of fuss about a little book. And not a very good little book at that. He drops it on the desk. Frank. I would like you to believe me. Andrew. Possibly you would, my dear Hunter. But I can assure you I am not particularly concerned about Taplow's views of my character. Or about yours either, if it comes to that. Frank. Hopelessly. I think you should keep that book all the same. You may find it'll mean something to you after all. Andrew. Turning to the cupboard and pouring himself another sherry. Exactly. It will mean a perpetual reminder to myself of the story with which Taplow is at this very moment regaling his friends in the house. I gave the croc a book to buy him off, and he blubbed. The croc blubbed. I tell you, I was there. I saw it. The croc blubbed. My mimicry is not as good as his, I fear. Forgive me. He moves up left of the desk. And now let us leave this idiotic subject and talk of more pleasant things. Do you like this sherry? I got it on my last visit to London. Frank. If Taplow ever breathes a word of that story to anyone at all, I'll murder him. But he won't. And if you think I will, you greatly underestimate my character as well as his. He drains his glass and puts it on the desk. He moves to the door up left. Andrew comes down left, puts his glass on the cupboard, and stands facing downstage. Goodbye, Andrew. Are you leaving so soon? Goodbye, my dear fellow. Frank stops. He takes out his cigarette case and places it on the left end of the table center. Frank, as this is the last time I shall probably ever see you, I'm going to offer you a word of advice. Andrew, politely. I shall be glad to listen to it. Frank, leave your wife. There is a pause. Andrew looks out of the window. Andrew, so that you may the more easily carry on your intrigue with her. Frank, moving into the upstage end of the desk. How long have you known that? Andrew, since it first began. Frank, how did you find out? Andrew, by information. Frank, by whose information? Andrew, by someone's whose word I could hardly discredit. There is a pause. Frank, slowly, with repulsion. No, that's too horrible to think of. Andrew, turning to Frank. Nothing is ever too horrible to think of, Hunter. It is simply a question of facing facts. Frank, she might have told you a lie. Have you faced that fact? Andrew, she never tells me a lie. In twenty years, she has never told me a lie. Only the truth. Frank, this was a lie. Andrew, moving up left of Frank. No, my dear Hunter, do you wish me to quote you dates? Frank, still unable to believe it. And she told you six months ago. Andrew, moving down left. Isn't it seven? Frank, savagely. Then why have you allowed me inside your home? Why haven't you done something? Reported me to the governors, anything, made a scene, knocked me down. Andrew. Knocked you down? Frank. 
You didn't have to invite me to dinner. Andrew. My dear Hunter, if, over the last twenty years, I had allowed such petty considerations to influence my choice of dinner guests, I would have found it increasingly hard to remember which master to invite and which to refuse. You see, Hunter, you mustn't flatter yourself you are the first. My information is a good deal better than yours, you understand. It's authentic. There is a pause. Frank. She's evil. Andrew. That's hardly a kindly epithet to apply to a lady whom, I gather, you have asked to marry. Frank. Did she tell you that? Andrew. She's a dutiful wife. She tells me everything. Frank. That, at least, was a lie. Andrew. She never lies. Frank. Leaning on the desk. That was a lie. Do you want the truth? Can you bear the truth? Andrew. I can bear anything. He crosses to the fireplace. Frank, turning to face Andrew. What I did, I did cold-bloodedly out of weakness and ignorance and crass stupidity. I'm bitterly, bitterly ashamed of myself. But in a sense, I'm glad you know, though I'd rather a thousand times that you'd heard it from me than from your wife. I won't ask you to forgive me. I can only tell you, with complete truth, that the only emotion she has ever succeeded in arousing in me, she aroused in me for the first time ten minutes ago. An intense and passionate disgust. Andrew. What a delightfully chivalrous statement. Frank, moving below the settee. Forget chivalry, Croc, for God's sake. Forget all your fine mosaic scruples. You must leave her. It's your only chance. Andrew. She's my wife, Hunter. You seem to forget that. As long as she wishes to remain my wife, she may. Frank. She's out to kill you. Andrew. My dear Hunter, if that was indeed her purpose, you should know by now that she fulfilled it long ago. Frank. Why won't you leave her? Andrew. Because I wouldn't wish to add another grave wrong to one I have already done her. Frank. What wrong have you done her? Andrew. To marry her. There's a pause. Frank stares at him in silence. You see, my dear Hunter, she is really quite as much to be pitied as I. We are both of us interesting subjects for your microscope. He sits on the fender. Both of us needing from the other something that would make life supportable for us, and neither of us able to give it. Two kinds of love— hers, and mine. Worlds apart as I know now, though when I married her, I didn't think they were incompatible. In those days I hadn't thought that her kind of love, the love she requires and which I was unable to give her, was so important that its absence would drive out the other kind of love, the kind of love that I require, and which I thought, in my folly, was by far the greater part of love. He rises. I may have been, you see, Hunter, a brilliant classical scholar, but I was woefully ignorant of the facts of life. I know better now, of course. I know that in both of us, the love that we should have borne each other has turned to bitter hatred. That's all the problem is. Not a very unusual one, I venture to think, nor nearly as tragic as you seem to imagine. Merely the problem of an unsatisfied wife 
and a hen-pecked husband. You'll find it all over the world. It is usually, I believe, a subject for farce. He turns to the mantelpiece and adjusts the hands of the clock. And now, if you have to leave us, my dear fellow, please don't let me detain you any longer. Frank makes no move to go. Frank, don't go to Bradford. Stay here until you take up your new job. Andrew, I think I've already told you I'm not interested in your advice. Frank, leave her. It's the only way. Andrew, violently. Will you please go? Frank, all right. I'd just like you to say goodbye to me properly, though. Will you? I shan't see you again. I know you don't want my pity, but I would like to be of some help. Andrew turns and faces Frank. Andrew, if you think, by this expression of kindness, Hunter, that you can get me to repeat the shameful exhibition of emotion I made to Taplow a moment ago, I must tell you that you have no chance. My hysteria over that book just now was no more than a sort of reflex action of the spirit. The muscular twitchings of a corpse. It can never happen again. Frank, a corpse can be revived. Andrew, I don't believe in miracles. Frank, don't you? Funnily enough, as a scientist, I do. Andrew, turning to the fireplace. Your faith would be touching if I were capable of being touched by it. Frank, you are, I think. He moves behind Andrew after a pause. I'd like to come and visit you at this crammer's. Andrew, that is an absurd suggestion. Frank, I suppose it is, rather, but all the same, I'd like to do it. May I? Andrew, of course not. Frank, sitting on the settee. Your term begins on the 1st of September, doesn't it? He takes out a pocket diary. Andrew, I tell you, the idea is quite childish. Frank, I could come about the second week. Andrew, you would be bored to death. So probably would I. Frank, glancing at his diary. Let's say Monday the 12th, then? Andrew, turning to face Frank, his hands beginning to tremble. Say anything you like, only please go. Please go, Hunter. Frank, writing in his book and not looking at Andrew. That's fixed, then. Monday, September the 12th. Will you remember that? Andrew, after a pause, with difficulty. I suppose I'm at least as likely to remember it as you are. Frank, that's fixed, then. He rises, slips the book into his pocket, and puts out his hand. Goodbye, until then. He moves in to Andrew. Andrew hesitates, then shakes his hand. Andrew, goodbye. Frank, may I go out through your garden? He crosses to center. Andrew, nodding. Of course. Frank, I'm off to have a quick word with Taplow. By the way, may I take him a message from you? Andrew, what message? Frank, has he or has he not got his remove? Andrew, he has. Frank, may I tell him? Andrew, it is highly irregular. Yes, you may. Frank, good. He turns to go, then turns back. Oh, by the way, I'd better have the address of that crammer's. He moves below the settee, takes out his diary, and points his pencil, ready to write. 
Millie enters up center. She carries a casserole on three plates. Millie, coming above the table center. Dinner's ready. You're staying, Frank, aren't you? She puts the casserole and plates on the table. Frank, politely. No, I'm afraid not. To Andrew. What's that address? Andrew, after great hesitation. The Old Deanery, Malcolm, Dorset. Frank. I'll write to you and you can let me know about trains. Goodbye. To Millie. Goodbye. He crosses to the door up left and goes out. Millie is silent for a moment. Then she laughs. Millie. That's a laugh, I must say. Andrew. What's a laugh, my dear? Millie. You inviting him to stay with you. Andrew. I didn't. He suggested it. Millie, moving to the left end of the settee. He's coming to Bradford. Andrew. Yes, I remember your telling me so. Millie. He's coming to Bradford. He's not going to you. Andrew. The likeliest contingency is that he's not going to either of us. Millie. He's coming to Bradford. Andrew. I expect so. Oh, by the way, I'm not. I shall be staying here until I go to Dorset. Millie, indifferently. Suit yourself. What makes you think I'll join you there? Andrew. I don't. Millie. You needn't expect me. Andrew. I don't think either of us has the right to expect anything further from the other. The telephone rings. Excuse me. He moves to the table down right and lifts the receiver. Hello? While he is speaking, Millie crosses to left of the table center. About to sit, she sees the cigarette case. She picks it up, fingers it for a moment, and finally drops it into her pocket. Yes, headmaster. The timetable? It's perfectly simple. The middle 4th B division will take a 10-minute break on Tuesdays and a 15-minute break on alternate Wednesdays while exactly the reverse procedure will apply to the lower shell, C Division. I thought I had sufficiently explained that on my chart. Oh, I see. Thank you. That is very good of you. Yes, I think you will find it will work out quite satisfactorily. Oh, by the way, Headmaster, I have changed my mind about the prize-giving ceremony. I intend to speak after, instead of before Fletcher, as is my privilege. Yes, I quite understand, but I am now seeing the matter in a different light. I know, but I am of the opinion that occasionally an anticlimax can be surprisingly effective. Goodbye. He replaces the receiver, crosses to right of the table center, and sits. Come along, my dear. We mustn't let our dinner get cold. He unrolls his table napkin. Millie sits left of the table and unrolls her table napkin. Andrew offers her the bread. She ignores it. He takes a piece. She removes the lid of the casserole as the curtain falls.